Hi, I'm Brandy. And I'm Angelina. And welcome to Talk 40 to Me. We're having all the candid conversations you'd have with your bestie. Join us as we unpack life in our 40s and all the questions that led up to this next chapter. So this episode, I feel like it's a super important topic because moms that go through this experience, a lot of them, they've never been through it before and you don't know what to expect. And I feel like becoming a mom in and of itself is enough. Like that experience is hard and it's trying and you need the help of other moms and their feedback to kind of really tackle that new season of your life. And I I cannot imagine having to deal with having a child in the NICU on top of all of that, just the experience of becoming a mother. So I think for you and I, a big part of us, you know, wanting to start the podcast was so that we had someone to be a sounding board and we could share all of the things that we've learned. And so I think to have a group of these three moms who can really attest to experiences and share that, and hopefully this can help another mom would be amazing. Yes, absolutely. So without further ado, I think let's get into our episode. Hi, guys. This is Brandy. And this is Angelina. And welcome to Talk 40 to Me. Welcome back. We are very excited to have an amazing panel with us today. We wanted to bring awareness to a heavy topic, the neonatal intensive care unit. So September is NICU Awareness Month, and the lovely ladies that we have on our panel range from moms to nurses who have gone through the experience of either having a child in NICU or a nurse who has treated children and helped families in the NICU. With that said, maybe we can go for a round robin uh, of introductions really quick. So why don't we start with Jamie? Hi there, everybody. I'm uh, Jamie Glass. I've been a local NICU nurse and now a transport nurse for um, a hospital in DFW. I started nursing close to 20 years ago, and NICU has been my passion. I've been on the board for neonatal nurses here in North Texas for a little over 10 years, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. Thank you. And Mary? Hi, my name is Mary. I am the mother to two queens, and I'm happy to be here to talk with y'all today. Thank you. And Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica. I um, I live in Dallas with my husband and our three children. We've got a five-year-old and uh, preemie twin babies, baby girls. And yeah, excited to be here. Awesome. So can each of you, Mary and Jessica, would you guys mind sharing a little bit about your experience in being in the NICU or what led up to you guys being in the NICU? Sure. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I have an older son and his pregnancy went, it was textbook. Nothing was amiss. And we went to 40 weeks in a day or two and everything went as well as you could possibly hope for. So, and about a couple of years later, uh, we found out we were pregnant with twins and, um, you know, you hear that those are higher risk pregnancies. And, um, I think I was a little bit naive and thought, Oh, what's that? You know, this isn't so bad. You hear about twins all the time and we'll be fine. Um, just because our first pregnancy pregnancy went so smoothly. 
but about halfway through, I, I was of advanced maternal age, that really fun term. I was 35 and just seeing that there were a multiple pregnancy, um, I was seeing a specialist, a fetal care specialist, and we were going for a lot of sonograms. And about halfway through my pregnancy, we learned that my cervix was beginning to shorten. And um, slowly over the next few weeks, it just shortened and shortened and shortened. And at 24 weeks and two days, I went for a sonogram at my specialist and he informed me that no longer did I have any closed cervix, but also I was dilated a centimeter. And so I was sent to um, my hospital to go on bed rest. And the plan was to keep me for a few weeks or maybe a few days and send me home. Uh, and then three weeks, three days later, excuse me, we were 24 weeks and five days along. Uh, one of the twins water broke. Um, and I didn't know at the time that you can stay pregnant with uh, your water broken, but um, you can, if they can stop your contractions, you just have to be in the hospital. So they were able to fortunately, and um, it just, but that's kind of when I started to be like, okay, we're, <laughs> we're probably going to be looking at some significant NICU time. And so sure enough, when they were 28 weeks on the dot, we went into labor and we couldn't stop at that time. So they were born 12 weeks premature and we're in the NICU for, they kind of tell you to expect that they'll go home around their due date. And that was pretty true for us. One of the twins went home a, a week or so earlier and one about a week later. So you kept those kids in another almost four weeks? Yeah, I was in the hospital in the antepartum room for uh, about four weeks, which was, you know, hard for my son who was at home. He was about two and a half at the time. And he just didn't quite understand why mommy couldn't come home. So that was a struggle. Mm. Um, of course, I wanted to be there as long as I could to get those girls um, as good of a start as they could. But yeah, it was hard. And my husband was doing the single dad thing and trying to balance all of that. But I can I say, I don't like the term advanced maternal age. I know it's rude. But <laughs> so rude. I got that the entire time of my pregnancy as well. So I know <laughs> geriatric pregnancy. I saw yeah. AMA on my form and I was like, AMA, what's that? I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Terrible. Mary, I know Mary actually had two NICU experiences. So Mary, do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. So for my first son, Liam, kind of from the start, we knew something wasn't exactly right at the 20 week ultrasound because he was measuring extremely small. So I was sent to a high risk doctor and I was monitored multiple times a week and it actually, I had reverse cord flow. So he was considered very high risk. And I was told like the last two weeks of my pregnancy that any day could be the day. Like I couldn't eat before the appointment in case of a emergency C-section. Like I had to be on my game basically. And when that day came, I was 27 weeks and Liam was born at 15 ounces and 11 inches. So he was in the NICU for a very long time. He was in for 101 days. Wow. And then with Luke, five years later, he was also born at 27 weeks. He was growing pretty fine. Everything was normal up to about 22-ish weeks. And my blood pressure just got high. I started taking some blood pressure medicine. I actually went to the high-risk doctor that, that morning, the, the day before he was born. And the high-risk doctor's like, everything's fine, nothing to worry about. And my OB, who delivered my two previous sons, was like, well, let's just be a little cautious. Let's give you these steroid shots that will help the baby's lungs just in case. So I was like, okay, well, lo and behold, I go to get the second shot that afternoon and my blood pressure is like through the roof. 
So they sent me over, you know, to the hospital and I was just convinced like, oh, I'm, they're going to get it lowered. I'm going to be fine. Um, yeah, my doctor came in the next morning and was like, the OR is prepped. It's time to go. Um, wow. So he was also born at 27 weeks. Um, so yeah, it, it's been quite the journey with both of them. I would love to share it if, if you're comfortable, the picture, especially of Liam, his size, I think sure. for people to see it, because I, I never really understood it until you have that photo of him next to a pencil. It's just shocking how tiny. Yeah, it was a lot. He was just so small. He was actually like the size of like a 20 week baby um, at 27 weeks. It was just kind of surreal just to see a baby that small. And that's a discount. His brother, Luke, Luke was only 110 um, at 27 weeks, which is still considered intrauterine growth restriction, that he was um, very small for his gestational age. So Jamie, are those, is that considered like a micropremie? Liam would have been considered a micropremie based on his weight. Normally that's done kind of by age and it's usually around, you know, 22, 25 pushing it weakers. But certainly with him being with severe IUGR, that would put him in the micropremie range. Wow. I have goosebumps, y'all, like hearing your stories and my heart just goes out to you guys on, you know, what that experience must have been like. Are you guys comfortable with sharing a little bit more about how your experience was in going through the NICU process and as your babies were, you know, developing and growing there, you know, tell us about the care or was there anything that really stood out to you during the baby's time there for you guys? Yeah. I I always counted myself very fortunate for getting to have what you would call a typical newborn experience with my first. And I've met so many parents like Mary, whose first experience having a baby, you're in the NICU. It's such an unnatural place to be, to, to mother, right? Like everything about it feels so unnatural. Like you are robbed of those first moments of doing skin to skin with your baby. You may not get to hold them for days or weeks. Um, I think it was at least a few days before I got to hold Quinn, um, one of our daughters, and then the other was even longer than that. I couldn't hold the two girls together for, I think, the first two months because uh, Emma, who had some more problems develop, she had some more medical problems. She um, got sick with E. coli and developed meningitis, and so we were not able to hold the girls together or um, I couldn't hold Emma first and then Quinn for the risk of spreading anything. And so it just felt very, you know, unnatural. And you're talking to your baby through an incubator wall, or, you know, you know that there are nurses eavesdropping when you're singing to your baby or a family on the other side of a curtain while you're trying to pump and everything just feels so different from what you would expect those early days to feel like. And, you know, it seems trivial when you're going through really intense medical things. Obviously you're grateful that your babies are alive and okay, but um, little things that you just have to grieve about the typical experience, like maybe a baby shower. You know, if, the, if your child is born really early, maybe you didn't get to have a baby shower or um, newborn photos and like things like that you just don't get to do. And um, so that part of it was, was really 
difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, the NICU experience for us, you know, it's hard logistically, especially if you have kids at home already. Um, certainly emotionally, you're just racked with worry and anxiety. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of it depends on just your baby's journey and how well they do. I mean, there are so many little milestones that you learn to celebrate um, and you learn what you take for granted with a healty baby. I mean, all these little things that you're just like, yeah, they, this is what they do. And then now you're like, oh no, they have to learn to breathe on their own and they have to learn to eat on their own and all these things that you just think just kind of just happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, with our, one of our twins had a really easy time of it. Um, was very fortunate, did not have a lot of um, issues, but um, baby A, uh, Emma, who was the one whose water broke, um, she had a much harder time. And so she, she had the blood infections and the brain infection that I mentioned. And that combined with her, um, it's really common for preemies to get uh, intraventricular uh, hemorrhage, brain bleed. And um, she had a grade two, which is not terrible on a scale of one to four. Um, but those things combined um, ended up leading to her getting to, uh, hydrocephalus, which is uh, a condition that you will have your whole life. It's where your brain cannot uh, drain the spinal fluid that we all make in our brain. Um, but normally we can just drain it uh, naturally while it gets built up and their heads can start to swell and it leads to a lot of pressure, obviously. And so um, we were actually transferred from the NICU that we were uh, born into to another local hospital. Um, that can do the surgery to place uh, a device that will help drain the, um, the fluid. And it actually happened twice, weirdly. The first time we went, it seemed like it was resolving on its own. So we were transferred back and then it, it presented itself again. And so we went back a second time and, and did go undergo the uh, surgery. I think she was around 35 weeks uh, gestation when she underwent the surgery. It's like, she shouldn't even be born yet. And she was going into brain surgery. It was just very upsetting. So, um, of course, like that affected our, you know, experience and our mental well-being, or at least mine. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because I know plenty of people who did a little bit of time in the NICU and, or even a lot of time in the NICU, but if their babies came out, you know, pretty well, they're like able to sort of leave that experience behind them when they come out. And it's like, you never hear them talk about it. Um, whereas for me, I mean, the NICU experience is very much like imprinted in who I am now. And it has changed so much for me and our family and just the way I look at things, the way I'm parent, I'm much more cautious and nervous about a lot of things. And we're still dealing with, you know, Emma's health um, all the time. She's got a range of things that we are working through. So it's an ongoing thing. You know, it's, it's not something that just ended the day we left the NICU, but I think that that, you know, your experience in the NICU can affect your life after the NICU, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Wow. Thank you for sharing such a personal story about your family and about Emma um, and the twins. I know, I think Mary can probably um, echo your sentiments about, you know, not just in the NICU, but life after. I mean, what would, what would you say, Mary, for your experience while you were there with the boys and then you know, years to come. For Liam, the first few years of his life, it just consisted of tons of therapy appointments, um, OT, speech, physical therapy, specialist appointments. When I look back, I kind of don't know how I survived those years because 
it, it was just so normal. That's just what we did nonstop. And I had my oldest son, Noah, at home. He was still in preschool. Uh, so it was very challenging. And then once we entered school, there was just so many other problems to stay on top of that, but also to continue, you know, regular school things. And preemies just deal with a whole bunch of issues that come with being premature. Uh, they can have low motor skills and everything just seems a little bit harder. Uh, and I can compare that to my older son. So those first few years were just hard. And he is now 10 and it's still hard. He's still in speech. We actually just got um, a recommendation for him to be evaluated for OT again. So it's just something that you always kind of have to be on top of. And I'm so grateful that his problems are so minimal compared to others. But it is a different road than, you know, my other son for sure. And then what about with Luke? Have you found that, I mean, I know your experience with both the boys was completely different. So with Luke, you had two kids at home. I mean, I'm sure that was a whole nother set of challenges. Yeah, that was uh, very tough. Basically, I would just drop the older two at school and head straight to the NICU and stay there until I had to pick him up from school. So it was very challenging. Um, his NICU stay was pretty, pretty smooth and uneventful, but he was there from October to December. So, you know, the holidays like Christmas, well, thankfully he was home for Christmas, but Luke, Liam wasn't. But, um, you know, for Luke, I was like, you know, we had to miss Halloween together. We had to miss Thanksgiving. And it's hard because the world around you is still happening. Even though we've been through it once before, even some friends and family, it's, it's like they just expect life just to go on. And it's like, well, no, you know, I, I still have a baby in the NICU, you know, so it was just very, very challenging. But thankfully, you know, they're now thriving and they're 10 and five. I have this visual of someone just standing still and seeing just people moving all around and, and you're, you're kind of in a whole different mind space. I know exactly what you're saying. Like when you see someone focused in and then there's this whole scene of people moving mm -hmm. so quickly around them. And I think that's probably true for any like difficult or tragic or hard experience in your life that people just seem to keep going and, and you're like, wait a minute, but I'm dealing with this stuff. Like, doesn't anybody see what's happening with me? So I, I see what you're saying. It had to be, and especially for people who aren't in that situation, I'm sure that nobody could really truly understand. Yeah. And Liam and Luke were actually only one's October 1st and one's October 12th. So for Liam's birthday, for his fifth birthday, you know, I had everything planned. We had a birthday party, all that. Well, I had Luke, you know, days before. And I remember just being like, well, what am I going to do? I mean, I can't cancel the party. You know, he's five. Like, life still has to go on. And I actually left the hospital, I think it was the day before his party. Or it might have actually been that day. I can't remember. But I remember going to the party. And people were just, like, looking at me like, what, what is she doing here? And it was like. He was in pre-K, so it was like parents I've never met yet. And I was like pale as a ghost, you know, because I just had this terrible like birth experience. And But it just doesn't stop, you know, because you want to be able to give everything to your kids at home as well. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. I know. And it's kind of one of those things. It's like my son was a godsend at times. Like he was my comfort and my distraction. I get home and he would cheer me up just because he was, he was two and a half. So he had no idea what was going on with his sisters at home. So he was just his little self and he would just put a smile on my face and take away some of my worry. I could just get distracted from what was going on. But yeah, the logistics of parenting, you know, when you've got a child in the hospital and then, and for us, uh, one of the twins came home before the other by a couple of weeks. And so that period, it's like, you're leaving one behind. And then I've got a newborn and a two-year-old at home and I'm trying to get up to the hospital. It's a lot. It's a lot of logistics. I can't imagine. With that said, I was wondering, I was just, I think it would be good to hear from Jamie about life as a NICU nurse. I know my sister-in-law was a NICU nurse for some time. You guys are a special breed. So can you tell us more about like a day in the life and what it is that you guys do to help support and work with the, the babies and the families? Sure. One, I just want to say to both Mary and Jessica that I'm so glad that your kiddos are home and and doing well, even though you guys are um, going through challenges. It's even being this many years into it and it being a job, you know, I honestly over here started tear up because it's, it's very, very special. And like you guys said, very unique of what y'all go through that so many people cannot understand. So what a day looks like for a NICU nurse. One, I want to say that most NICU nurses, it's been proven that they are one of the most happiest nurses as far as in their job role. And I think it's because it's so um, specialized and, you know, we get that joy of seeing babies and majority of the time, thankfully to advances in medicine, you know, they do get to go home, not without some issues typically, but it's still a very um, beautiful experience to uh, walk through from seeing this baby born to all the challenges they've gone through to, you know, getting to finally go home with their family. With that being said, normally what happens in the morning or night, whatever shift you're working, you come in, you get your assignment, usually based on the child's acuity, depends on if you're assigned one child, two or three, and you get a report about, you know, the patient's history, what they've gone through, what's been going on, what the plan is, uh, what medications they're on, if they have any procedures scheduled or coming up and then any plans that may take place. And that's great. But the also thing about NICU is always the unexpected. These kiddos change super quickly. Along with that, uh, many nurses in the NICU are trained to go on deliveries and they have to schedule in. So you look at the delivery schedule of those that are already scheduled that you know um, you're going to have to go on. So you know, while you may have come in that morning, we get an update. Okay. We're going to have a 24 weeker scheduled at three o'clock this afternoon or, you know, whatever it may be. And so you have to kind of schedule that in with what you have going on with your patients or families or plan for another nurse to take over for you. And then of course there's those unplanned patients that walk in, Hey, I got a mom 26 weeker that just walked in the door. That's in labor. We're going to need you down here in 15 minutes kind of thing. And then of course, for the unexpected of your patient that changes. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had a baby. We do touch times in the NICU. I can go into more of that, but basically it's scheduled times that you get in with the baby and do a diaper change and feed them. You 
most kids are on a three-hour rotation. But you may get in with a baby at 8 a.m. and everything looks great. And then whenever you go to do that 11 a.m. touch time, usually you get in a few minutes early. You know, they don't look so good. Something has happened. And, you know, what all we're going to do, get lab work, get x-rays, you know, try to get a workup. And, of course, the challenge with that is, and the unique thing about NICU is, you know, our patients can't tell us what's going on. They can't tell us what's hurting them or how they're feeling or my belly's so full, I'm hurting. I feel like I'm going to throw up in a minute. Oh, by the way, my gut is, you know, I suddenly have a hole in my gut kind of thing. So, you know, you are really putting the pieces together of a puzzle, trying to figure out what's going on with these little ones. So it, it really, you can have a plan and it all goes awry, just kind of, you know, they run the show, whatever whatever's going on with them, they're going to tell you what they need and, um, you know, what you're going to do that day. You can have a plan, but it sure will change a lot. How does the relationship with families, like, it seems like there's oftentimes you hear families and nurses really connecting on a much deeper, more personal level with one another. So when a nurse is working on treatment and when a parent is working on being a parent to a baby, how, how is that? How do you guys come together? In general, across the country. So the board I sit on is also a part of a national association. So I, you know, go and go to, you know, Tennessee, wherever this year's Vegas kind of thing. And we do a lot of national stuff and nationally, um, the NICU world, we talk about uh, family-centered care. So it's very important for us to include families, whether that's mom and dad, grandparents, siblings, whatever we can do. Um, we always say parents are not visitors. They, you know, they're family. They, they belong here all the time. So, you know, our job a lot is to somehow figure out how to make those parents feel like they either that is you know, being there for the touch time to do the diaper changes, if they are bottle feeding or what we call nippling, you know, getting to, to do that for their kiddos. Um, if it's bath time, you know, a lot of times that's an on night shift, but if a parent's going to come in on the day shift, you know, then try to get it scheduled on the day shift so the parent can be a part of that. Given all of your experience on this board and, you know, in the field as a NICU nurse, do you have tips for moms who know that they're going into this situation, ways that, you know, in your experience that could help them through their NICU process? That's really hard because I think I actually just talked to a mama this week that's about to deliver at uh, 24 and 5. And I can try to tell you some things, but I just don't think that there really is a way to prepare for it. The biggest thing is to know that it is truly what they call a roller coaster ride. Like you are going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And so, yes, they say to expect to get to go home around your due date. Sometimes it's a little earlier, sometimes it's later, but like I said, babies, they just unexpected things happen. And it's very, very hard to look at parents and say, you know, we were doing so great this week with feeds and now all of a sudden, we're vomiting our bellies big. And so we've got to stop feeding and we're going to do all these tests. And now we go back a, a week, you know, and they were already excited thinking in their mind, okay, well, if they're feeding and doing well right now, and I know 
a lot of moms, they're calculating, okay, well, maybe they can go home in three weeks kind of thing, you know, if everything goes perfect and it just does not, everything does not go perfect. (laughs) So it would be, you know, kind of just take it day by day as you can. The other thing that I would do for my parents would really try to encourage them to go home, get rest. Like the guilt that motherhood brings in general is out of control. I had no idea until I became a mom recently myself, but the NICU, just the fact that you can't parent like you had planned to. And then there's this nurse that you oftentimes feel like is being a mom to your kid and you're, you know, thinking, wait, I want to do that. So, you know, I would say communication with the nurse or the staff about things that you want to do so that you can feel involved as possible, trying to um, go home and get rest. And also knowing that it's okay to take a night off. It's okay to go have dinner. It's okay to go to your child's event that's at home that you need to attend. It's, it's hard because I don't think that you can tell them enough and they're still going to feel guilty. And it's, you see that so often and it's, you know, it's really difficult. (laughs) What about um, Mary and Jessica? Is there anything that stood out regarding the care of your NICU team or any advice that they may have given you that really helped you through the process? One of the things that helped me the most was just the constant support from many of the nurses, whether it be, um, you know, I was an exclusive pumper in the NICU. I was very hesitant to like really try to like latch and breastfeed in the unit because we didn't have private rooms and I was just, I'm just kind of self-conscious in general. And I remember one of the nurses was like, no, let's, let's try it. And she like brought in a screen and um, she really tried to help me do it. It still didn't work out despite our best efforts, but I just, she was just so warm and welcoming and wanting this to just work for me. And to this day, we're still friends. She's amazing. And she's so sweet. And for Liam, him gaining weight was always our issue. It still is at 10. And we were just waiting for him to hit three pounds. It like took forever. And this nurse was like, well, once he hits three pounds, we're going to have a pound party with pound cake. And I was like, okay. So every day she would check. And of course, the day he hit three pounds, she wasn't uh, working that shift. But when I got to the unit that morning, she already dropped off the pound cakes like at his bedside. And I just remember like crying just that she had become so much part of your experience. You know, like she's calling, you know, the unit to see how he's doing when she's not even at work and came in on her day off to do that. It was just amazing. And just the warmth that I remember receiving from, you know, many of these nurses is just, you know, made the whole experience much more. Um, doable and manageable. Yeah, I would agree. The doctors are great and you have them for usually two weeks on and two weeks off, at least in my experience. And some you'd like better than others, you know, some had a more gruff bedside manner and you just kind of had to learn that for those two weeks. And then some were a little bit more warm, but the nurses that we encountered were phenomenal. And just like Mary said, I mean, really became a part of our family. And we have several that we keep in very close contact with. um, And they're following how the girls are doing as they grow up. And I would encourage anyone who is going into the NICU to really 
become friendly, you know, be free friendly to your NICU nurses. It's not a strategy play. It's not, you know, it's just, they are going to be the ones caring for your baby day after day. Be good to them. <laughs> you know, they're, they're so giving and so generous and so kind. Um, and they were the ones that were there for me on the bad days when we got a tough, you know, tough news. I just remember like bursting into tears one time and I felt a nurse like grab me from behind and give me a big hug. And it was one of our, you know, go-to nurses. And she just like wrapped me in her arms and I'm going to get emotional even just talking about it. They were so dear to us and still are. So, um, you know, I would hear stories from, <laughs> maybe they shouldn't have told me this, but from some of them about other moms who have been mean or yelled at them. And, you know, it's a stressful situation you're in. You're, you know, it's, it's understandable, but try your best not to take out your, your worry and your stress out on these nurses who are only there, you know, to be uh, your support and your advocate. A lot of them advocated for my babies, uh, even when the doctors may not have wanted to do something, they could see that either the baby needed it or that I was really adamant about something and they would advocate on our behalf. So um, I couldn't say enough great things about the care that we received from them. And as far as advice that I received from them and from, that I would give to other Nikki moms, I would say just to give yourself, I think it's probably, you know, probably uh, something that you'd expect to hear, but just give yourself a lot of grace and your partner, a lot of grace. Like you've never gone through anything like this before and you don't know how you're going to react to something like this. You don't know how your partner is going to react to something like this. And um, it can be really trying. And I, I think my, my husband and I handle things like this a lot differently. You know, I think that's really common too, where I was just a nervous wreck 24 seven and he thought I was worrying too much. And I'm like, well, how can you not be more worried about this? You know, he was able to sort of compartmentalize. And so, you know, I would be like frustrated that he wasn't more worried. And so, you know, we just had to sort of remember like we're in this together and we're both going through something very new and very hard. So just to be easy on yourself and to check in with yourself and recognize if you're not doing okay. I, I did get to a point where I was worrying too much and I had to sort of acknowledge that and say, okay, I think I need a little bit of help here. And, you know, for me, it was actually when the babies were getting ready to come home that I really sort of became overwhelmed with just crippling anxiety because suddenly it was like these two very fragile babies were going to be in my care with my two and a half year old running a around. They had a very complex care plan. And I was like, how am I going to do all this? And so it just sort of hit me very hard. And so I just had to seek help from my uh, OB and got uh, some anti-anxiety medicines that really helped me to sort of down and just the support of our family and friends was huge in that too. So just be easy on yourself, stay on top of your own health, take care of yourself. As uh, Jamie said, just get rest. Like don't feel like you have to be at the bedside 24 hours a day. One of the hospitals that we were at, you really didn't have the option because we didn't have private rooms. And so I'd go for a few hours and then I'd come home to parent my other child. And that was actually better for me than the other hospital where they had semi-private rooms and there was a chair and you were allowed to sleep at the bedside if you wanted. And so when we were there and our daughter was undergoing surgeries, I did. And I think it really um, did a number on my, my mental health to be there all night because you just don't get great rest. You're hearing beeping and crying and activity and just the worry. And so I think that's kind of when I started to like really take a nosedive. So just take care of yourself. I think that's really important. These nurses know what they're doing. They've got your, your babies in good hands. I just wanted to speak real quick and say, I'm so glad that y'all spoke to that. I still... In fact, I just had um, a set of twins turn 10 that I still follow and go to their birthday parties 
there's two sets of twins actually, but the um, calling and checking on your days off. Like I said, Nikki nurses are a special breed. We really do care about our patients. I was in Mexico and I got a call from my boss saying, you cannot go on vacation again until these kiddos go home because they are missing you so bad. But, you know, the nurses really do. I think a lot of times right in the beginning, the parents, you know, don't know, you don't know what to expect. And you're, you know, you're kind of, I want to say jealous in a way, because like I said, the nurses get to do the things that mom wants to do kind of. And, you know, if there's something that you're wanting to do, they're the ones telling you no, because of whatever reason it might be. And then you form this bond with them and realize, you know, how much they truly care about your, you know, your baby and your family. And oftentimes that bond just, you know, goes past and beyond discharge. And so I'm really glad that y'all have experienced that too, because that's really uh, special for a lot of nurses. I'm tearing up hearing you guys, your stories and your experiences. I mean, one does not think about all of the variables that come into play when you haven't gone through that experience. Gosh, I mean, I just, I think I said this earlier, like I have goosebumps and I'm tearing up and I'm holding back tears because this, I mean, your stories are so powerful. Yeah, I don't think you can. We had friends who went through it and before me. And now as soon as I went through, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was not there for you guys enough. Like, I can't believe you were doing all this. And I was just over here thinking like, oh, did all things are fine. You just can't know. Just like with anything in life, you can't know until you go through it yourself. All of you mentioned, you know, staying in touch. I noticed that's kind of a common theme. You know, Jamie is a nurse, stays in touch with her babies, the patients, and you guys have stayed in touch with your nurses. So tell us about that. Is there anything that stands out to you? And I know Mary, I think it would be great for you to share. You, through this process, stayed in touch with moms and formed a nonprofit. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So when Liam was in the NICU, it was Christmas time. And I received a care package from a friend of a friend, and it was just so unexpected and so welcomed. And I knew that I would like to do this for a family the following year. So me and that mom stayed in touch and we delivered holiday care packages to the NICU where we were. And from that, one of the moms who was in the NICU that year reached out to me and We stayed in touch and created this friendship and some other moms did as well. And through that, we formed Delivering Hope NOLA, which is a nonprofit that we deliver care packages in May and December. And before COVID, we did support, you know, support groups, but because of COVID, that just hasn't worked out. But yeah, so we have all these local moms that, you know, got together and we're now I think it's probably been about eight years. Um, I've been doing it since Liam was born, but as an organization. And it's just great because I didn't know anybody who was in the NICU before I, before I had my own experience. So it's kind of one of those things you don't know unless you've been there sort of thing. And talking to other moms who've been there, done that, is just so important. So you, you know, can validate how you feel and your experience, you know, even Jessica speaking, I can be like, oh, yes, yeah, you know, and I'm just agreeing with certain things, because you just don't know until you experience it yourself. So I think a a big component of the whole experience is, you know, making relationships with 
it, whether it's the nurses or moms you need in the unit um, and staying in touch and, and just not comparing, but just sharing experiences over the years of just what's going on. Like I said, you know, Liam is now 10 and I actually wrote to his OT. I texted her this week and I was like, Hey, I know it's been a while, but Liam's having some issues with this or that. And she responded immediately and, you know, we're, we've stayed in contact. So it's been great. And it's been a great resource over the years with the friendships and the relationships I've made with the moms and these medical professionals. And speaking to Delivering Hope NOLA, I can say that um, I had the experience pre-COVID. I was able to volunteer some time and go deliver care packages with, with you guys. And it was just it was such a moving and wonderful thing to be able to do. So if people wanted to get involved or learn more about it, what, what's your um, website and your, your handle? It's deliveringhopenola.org. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. And um, we're always looking for volunteers to deliver the care packages. Because like I said, we started out with just one hospital, but now we deliver care packages to all the delivering hospitals in the New Orleans area. So yeah, we would love to have some help and reach out to us. That's so amazing. I love it. I just love that you did that. Um, Because it's such a testament to like a rising from the ashes sort of thing, you know, like taking lemons and making lemonade. And I I enjoyed that experience. Jessica, for you, what what has been your experience staying in touch with people and anything that stands out for you in these years after? Yeah, we, um, more so the nurses we've stayed in touch with. There's one or two families from our NICU days that we still keep in contact with. The the people that I think for me have been integral have been, well, we were fortunate in our hospital to have a NICU support group. I think it's a Texas-based group, but I'm sure there are others like that throughout the country. And the representative that we had in our hospital was an angel on earth. I mean, she just had some otherworldly sense of knowing when you needed her to be there and she would just appear and give you a big (laughs) hug and it was like always right at the right moment like how did you know I just got terrible news and one day I was like really struggling and she um somehow I mentioned that I hadn't eaten yet but it was like I needed to be there for the touch times that Jamie mentioned because I needed to try and feed we were working on feeding and so I just raced there and I hadn't eaten anything and it was a mess And um, she just dragged me out of there and she was like, you need to eat, you need to take care of you. And she dragged me down to the cafeteria and sat me down. And like, I just cried into my French fries and she just sat there with me and let me, you know, was just there for me. And so we've kept in touch with her as well. And then uh, also I just, I found that if you, I'm, I'm usually fairly private about things. I don't post a lot on social media or certainly about, you know, like everybody, you post the highlights, right? You're not posting about your low times, but anytime I have or have posed a question on a mom's group about something that one of my daughters is going through, it's like somehow some person that I needed to meet has been placed into my life. Like it will be passed on to somebody else and, you know, oh, I've got a cousin or, and then I get connected with someone who has gone through something similar and they're able to give me like one piece of information. That's like the key to our, you know, health puzzle. And I've gotten more information from other moms like that and have stayed in touch with those moms who've gone through similar things, um, other hydrocephalus moms and things like that. And so that's been a really just amazing 
piece of this process, I think, just meeting people that I would have never met and support of people whom I would have never known if not for this. And like Mary said, you kind of become bonded with other people when you hear like, oh, you've been through it. Okay, I know what you're going through and want to help each other. And I think it's amazing what Mary's doing. We're getting ready to celebrate the girls third birthday next month. And um, we're going to ask people to bring gifts in lieu of gifts for the kids. We have plenty. <laughs> we're going to um, ask them to bring either things for other NICU moms. I've been in touch with some of the NICU nurses at our hospital. And I think especially during COVID parents are going through hard times and can't afford all the little extras like blankets and pacifiers. And so they've been paying for those out of their own pockets for their patients, which just isn't fair. So we're asking for donations for the NICU and as well as gifts for the children's hospital here where Emma receives her care because we've been on the receiving end of little pick-me-ups like that when you're there and it makes such a difference not just for the kids but for the parents too so we're not as organized as Mary yet but maybe one day we'll get there send a message to our group or text me because I want to you know provide some donations as well I would love to amazing So do you guys have any advice for listeners who may have a loved one whose family, like who may have a child in NICU? How can family and friends support families who are going through the NICU process? I know for me, you know, we, like Jessica, when, when your babies were in the NICU, we, our team, our little group was like, how can we help you? And, and I think that there's a, there's a concern of we don't want to impose, but we want to be there to support. And so what is some advice that you guys might have for those wanting to help or or being more respectful of a person's situation? I think it depends on the person. You'll know, you know, if it's going to be, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, well, I don't want to be, you know, I want to overstep my bounds or maybe I don't know them that well. And so you kind of hesitate, but I mean, I can say that I don't think I ever received anything and was like, oh gosh, I don't even really know that person. You know, it was always just met with such gratitude. And again, as someone who is the way that you're describing, and I'd be like, well, maybe I should reach out and see if now's a good time. I mean, there may not be a good time or I may not get a chance to respond. The best text messages I got were from friends who were just like, don't respond to this. I just wanted you to know I'm thinking about you. You know, it's like, I'm not expecting you to get back to me. There's no pressure, but I just wanted you to know that you were on my mind. Um, We got groceries or pre-made meals just dropped on our doorstep. And of course, that was always just so welcome while they were in the NICU and once we were home. And I think for me with our son being at home and of course, probably feeling a little bit of, you know, mommy and daddy being a little more absent or absent-minded, certainly people who would send things for him was always so appreciated. Little gifts or trinkets or, you know, arts and crafts things to kind of keep his keep him busy and keep his spirits up. He would get so excited. Um, and when I felt like I was failing him as a mom, um, it was like, well, okay, here's somebody else who can help me out and make me maybe look good. So those were some big things that I think we got. And just, yeah, I mean, just being there for them. I think, I think for me too, when we were coming home from the NICU, I remember everyone was saying like, oh, I'm so glad they're doing well. And I just remember thinking like, they're not, you know, they are well enough to come home, but there was still so much of our journey that went on beyond the NICU. And I think it's helping people understand that the NICU is oftentimes just the beginning of the journey. And it may be weeks or months or a lifetime journey after that. And everyone's so well-meaning and I, I do it all the time too, but just kind of realizing 
that it's not like magically fixed when you go home and you do still need support and check-ins and, you know, even now or years, you know, years into Emma's journey when we were still dealing with a lot um, and surgeries and ongoing therapies, Mary mentioned, and people would be like, they kind of ask about her and I'd say, you know, you know, it'd be an elevator conversation, right? And you're like, well, I don't have time to get into it. And like in these three minutes we're going to be together. So you just kind of say like, yeah, she's doing good. And I'm really, I'm so glad they're doing well now. And you're like, everyone just wants to put a pretty bow on it. Right. And like leave the conversation, like in a positive upbeat, like, yeah, everything's fine. And then they walk on their merry way. And meanwhile, you know, it's not necessarily all you know, fine and dandy. So just sort of being understanding of that, that there is a lot that comes after a lot of these preemies have a lot of complexities and conditions that go on for much longer than their Nikki stay. So that would be my advice. And just don't, don't forget about them. Don't forget about those friends. You know, I think when you're out of sight, out of mind for several months dealing with all of this, I think it's easy to kind of just fall out of people's social circles and, you know, you kind of get forgotten. And for us, it was exacerbated by COVID right after. So we were just sort of gone for a long period of time. So just sort of keep those friends in the back of your mind and check in and make sure they're doing okay. And I think we probably, I mean, as moms, we, that guilt, right? It just seems to come with motherhood. So I can imagine it's amplified as a NICU mom, especially you have a child at home. So I think um, it's important to, like you said, that they just people reached out and said, you don't have to respond. I'm thinking about you. So it's a wonderful reminder for all of us as moms to just give ourselves grace and then know to just support one another. Like you don't have to say anything, but I just want you to know that you're doing a great job and I'm here for you. Yeah. Just a quick text. Like that's all it took. Just, you know, know someone was thinking about you meant so much. What are your thoughts, Mary, on best ways to support someone in that situation? To just show up. Don't ask which what you need, because I'm not going to tell you what I need, because I just have so much going on. And so, you know, just dropping off something like one of my friends was like, Hey, you know, I dropped off a cooler um, of food on your porch. It's like, Oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Because I'm not going to, as moms, we're not going to say, Oh yeah, we need this, this, and this. So just doing instead of asking was very, very helpful. And it just meant a lot like a I received like, you know, Starbucks gift cards, you know, my email, like, Hey, thinking of you. And it just was such a great thing because you can feel alone and it would get so hard because everybody would text me kind of want an update, like, Oh, Hey, what's going on today? You know? And it's like, Oh, then you have to like explain everything to everybody again. I think that even friends and family just kind of have to understand, like you're tapped out at times. And and since I went through this twice, like, I know it was kind of hard for my mom in the first few weeks, because at the end of the day, like, I was just too exhausted to, like, sit on the phone, talk to her and tell her what's going on. I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. Like, sometimes I would just have to leave everything at the NICU and bringing it home, like, it was just too much, especially with two other kids. So just, you know, a lot of understanding. And my sons were in two different NICUs. And one... Uh, NICU, only the parents were allowed to come. And if you were to bring somebody else in, they would have to be with one of the parents. And then for the other NICU, you could have a list and those people could come basically at their leisure, which I did not like, because it kind of posed a, well, why is someone so on the list and I'm not? And it's like, I always said, if something terrible was to happen, would you want to be the one who's there? No. 
So just some, you know, understanding and grace and to just not take things so personal is something that I would really reiterate to other, you know, families going through this. I wanted to add to for employers <laughs> to be gracious with employees who are going through this. I was lucky to work for a company who was so generous with time because I would see other parents who were having to make the choice of whether to take their maternity leave while their child was in the NICU or when their child got home or a little bit of both. So they'd be coming on their lunch hour or after work to visit their baby in this critical time. I mean, it's not just, you know, for your own bonding, but it's like scientifically shown that it's so important to get to hold your baby skin to skin and do all these and read to them all these things. And so they were having to like split up their time and take two weeks while their baby was in the NICU and then save the rest. Or I mean, my, my employer could not have been more gracious and let me take all the time that I needed so I could do both. So I just, it breaks my heart to know their parents, other moms and dads don't have that luxury. I think we need reform in every way, shape and form when it comes to this, people need that time. Yeah. And I'll piggyback off of that um, because I was working when I had Liam and I had a C-section. So, you know, I wasn't clear to go back to work for that six weeks or so. And actually it was the day before I was scheduled to go back for maternity leave. And that is when we had a neck scare, which in the preemie world, like neck is one of the biggest like pillars of babies. And I just remember thinking like, I can't do this. Like I can't go back to work. Like I, I have to be here. Like sadly, like my work wasn't very understanding. You know, I said, Hey, you know, could I, continue to stay, you know, home essentially for this next week. And, and they were kind of like, oh, well, you know, they just were not understanding. And I said, you know, when he would come home from the NICU, I would like to have a couple weeks off because it's cold and flu and RSV season in January. And again, they were not understanding. And I eventually left this, left the job uh, because there's no way I could have done both, especially with another child. So Definitely, there needs to be some sort of like special like parental leave given to, you know, families in the NICU, because that was a very tough thing to have to even think about while, you know, your child is in the NI unit. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I didn't even think about. You know, you're already under so much stress when you have a baby and maternity leave and, and that maternity leave or that time needed is extended even further because they they need you. And there's so much, so many things happening, whether it's emotionally, physically, family, whatever it is. I mean, there's just a lot. Jamie, um, is there anything that you might have um, advice for families either going through the NICU or, or advice that, you know, like we were talking about loved ones who have a family member or a friend who is, you know, going through the NICU experience? Sure. I think um, just like Mary stated for uh, family members to just show up, don't ask when a good time is. There's never a good time. Usually as moms, we're not going to tell you that we need something because you already kind of whenever you have to ask for help or something. Right. So I would say, you know, you might not get to hang out and visit, but just show up and drop off something or go up and do some laundry, you know, if you're that close to them where you can, you know, come in the house or whatnot, you know, if they have other kids at home, offer to take their other kid to, to a playground or to an indoor play place. So they feel like their other kiddo is getting attention to even if they can't do it at that time. And as far as parents, I would say from my experience anyways, and 
the facilities that I've worked at to know your social worker. They oftentimes are really, really like your number one support as far as what's going to go on for whenever you leave, you know, getting you in contact with all of your follow-up care, with medical devices that are coming home for you, that kind of thing. And, you know, like Jessica said, to give yourself grace. This is a whole new world that you've never experienced and probably nobody else around you has to um, be able to help you navigate it. And, you know, like you said, you can't, you think that, oh, you're going to get to go home. Like whenever you're thinking of when you're going to get to go home, you think that that sounds great until like the week of or two days before. And then you start really stressing out thinking, wait a minute, I'm going to be at home. They're not going to be on monitor. Most likely some kids do go home on a monitor, but most likely they're not going to be a monitor anymore. I don't have a nurse sitting at the bedside for 12 hours, staring at them, waiting to see if they breathe wrong or whatnot. And so then you get home and you can't sleep because you are fearful to go to sleep. What if something happens just to also take care of yourself? Uh, Mental health is so big. And actually right now I'm working on doing some research on mental health with moms in the NICU. Mental health is very special to me. I've dealt with it personally. I lost my mom to suicide, unfortunately. And then just becoming a mom this past year, I struggled with some mental health issues. And so I can imagine coupling with the emotions, having a new baby, and then put that with being in the NICU and all of those stressors you know, we see it, but I don't think we speak to it enough. So, you know, don't, don't be ashamed. It's completely understandable that you need help, whether it can be just taking time for yourself and doing, you know, yoga or Pilates. I'm not good at yoga, but you know, if you're good at that or working out, or, you know, if you need to take it a step further and, you know, see a counselor, or get some medication, you know, Lord knows that or we need happy. That would be my. That's so valuable. I didn't I mean, the social worker um, mention, I think, is super important. And in terms of helping people to remember the resources that are available once you leave the hospital, um, I think. Gosh, you guys, I can't thank you guys enough for opening up and, and talking to us. This has been just so helpful. And I think this is really going to help other moms who may be faced with this or also just those who have been through the situation just to listen to you guys share your stories because power numbers, you know, it's nice for us to be able to connect with one another in that way. And that was a big part of what brought Brandy and I to this podcast was sharing and opening up and being a space for, you know, other women. So thank you. At this point, I think it would be great to learn more about each of you. So this is our segment called, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Yeah. You got to say it kind of like Southern, like, let me tell you something. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's our New Orleans coming out in us. But this is, this stem from Brandy and I just, we would get on the phone and be like, girl, let me tell you something like, and it could be anything. So since we're talking about babies and motherhood at any point when you had children, what, what is the one thing? that people did for you that when you had kids, that was the best thing that they did. If there, you could have one takeaway, what would that be? I mean, for me, I would say, I know I didn't have any NICU children, but just having babies, I would say food. I mean, food, food is just, 
we are from the South, so we speak through food. We like food. And like Mary said, you just drop it off. I think in any situation, it's hard for us to say, yeah, I need you. To, I could use this, this, and this. But when somebody would show up with food, that was just, I don't know. It just made me, it warmed my heart in any situation because I feel like you really thought about me. Like you cooked for me. That's amazing. And Angelina it came up when I had uh, my second Easton. She's his godmother. And I was a mess. And I turned around and she was like cleaning my kitchen. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm cleaning. Now, granted, she has to have a, a spotless kitchen. Like she cannot, even the last time she came to visit, like she's always like cleaning my kitchen. Apparently, <laughs> apparently I leave dishes out. I don't know. No, it's, it's just me. It just gives me something to do. It's just. But I, I was like, Angel, oh girl, I don't care. Like, hey, you want to take care of that? That's fine. But I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, look take a break, go take a nap, like go do something. I'm here. I came here to help you. I want to do something for you. So she's like, I got this. And along with that and the meal trains, I, I don't know. I mean, in New Orleans, you're, you have so much family around like, and I never had kids in New Orleans, but I don't recall meal trains being a big thing because your family's just always bringing you food anyway. But here mm -hmm. in Dallas, we have so many amazing friends that set up meal trains for us and it was like oh well food's taken care of for the next two months because <laughs> people would sign up and just drop off food and some would stay and visit and some would drop off and it just it's so it, it makes you feel so loved to just take one thing off of your plate so i would say for me those were probably the the best things that people did for me yeah and my family what about you guys one of the best things I received was when I was still working, when I was pregnant with Liam, is I got a gift certificate to a local spa from one of the doctors I worked for. And it was like, oh, I, I made a point to call and, you know, they have prenatal massages, so you can go get one of those. And I just thought that was so sweet. He doesn't have any children. And I was like, oh, like he actually thought like something really like for me. And that was just awesome. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I always love a good spa treatment, but that's like, that takes it to the next level. It's awesome. I would say for me, it was my best friend came over and did laundry <laughs> and my mother-in-law just coming over and saying, okay, go take a shower. <laughs> like I just, you know, to have the few minutes, I, my kiddo had colic and just had to be held constantly. And I'm, I remember crying like, I'm never going to be able to put him down ever. And so, you know, for someone just to come over and take over holding him so I could go and shower. And I mean, I literally had held him when I went to the bathroom because I'd rather do that yeah. than hear him scream. So, you know, for somebody to come over and, you know, just love on him so I could have a little bit of time in the shower and, you know, some quiet and wash my hair, make myself feel better. But that and the laundry was so helpful. And a shower can really, after, especially after having a baby, make you feel like a new woman. Like that's just yeah. like <laughs> life changing. A shower or a trip to Target. Like yeah. I'm just, go to Target. <laughs> I just walk around <laughs> like aimlessly with nothing I need, but just walk around. Yeah, I think all of those things. Yeah, I food for sure, especially home cooked food. And I am not great about doing that for others. I'm I'm the queen of like 
sending a door dash, but the home coach meals were always so special. And then, yeah, I mean, we were lousy with support from family. I mean, they just, especially with the twins, just all like my mom and my mother-in-law took turns living with us. I mean, literally living with us like a week on and a week off and then would just pitch in. And then they, they let us take the time to spend with our oldest, you know, who again was sort of going through this big transition. So they would be like, we've got the girls, you take him out for an outing and like just have some special one-on-one time with him. So that was really huge too. Amazing. So it's time for rapid fire. We love these questions. We ask the same questions to every guest. I just love to hear what people say too. Yes. Oh, it's so much fun, I think. So our first question is, what is your go-to guilty pleasure? Something you love to do in the AM or every day? Like you just cannot live without this thing. It might be a TV show, a book. What's your, what's your kind of go-to thing that just fills your cup? My thing I have to have every day is sonic drinks. And I mean, they know at work, it's a bad day. If I walk in, I don't have a sonic drink with me. They're like, "Uh Oh, what happened? Cause <laughs> I have usually two drinks with me every day. So. Like a cherry, <laughs> like a cherry limeade or like, no, I just do a half and half tea and a Dr. Pepper. And I don't drink, I drink about a fourth of the Dr. Pepper. I'm terrible about drinking all of it. That's such a waste of money, but it's just something I just have to have a little bit of Dr. Pepper to start my day. <laughs> and then I, you know, sip on that sweet tea for the rest of the shift. So awesome. Jessica. I'd say for me, I don't know that I get to it every day, at least now that I have kids, but um, reality TV is probably my big one, like specifically the Bachelor franchise, which you really could watch year round now. They have so many spinoffs and things and it's like hours long episodes. So you could break that up easily into (laughs) and sprinkle it throughout your week. Um, So yeah, it's just sort of that like mindless escape I need. It's like after a long day of work and parenting, I don't want to be like thinking too hard. It's just like, this is dumb. This is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Kind of to piggyback off of Jamie, but mine is Starbucks. And I go every day. And like she said, if a day goes by and you don't have one and people notice, you're like, oh, yeah, she hasn't had her Starbucks. So that would be mine. (laughs) Is there anything, any specific type of drink at Starbucks? My favorite is the espresso frappuccino. I don't think I've tried that one. I'm going to have to add that to my list. Okay. Next question, and we will close out. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would that be? To just enjoy the the season that you're in. I would always think like, oh, you know, once you're in high school, once, you know, you think about, well, once I'm in college and once you're in college, well, once I'm married and once I'm married, oh, when I have kids, but to fully enjoy and appreciate where you are and know that, you know, you're not under this timeline that you may have in your head. One of my friends, and Angelina knows her, she is currently pregnant with her third, and we're the same age, and my oldest is 14, and her oldest is three. So motherhood-wise, our lives are totally different from, you know, what we do day to day. But, you know, that's just the way my life went and her life went. You know, I married my high school sweetheart. She didn't get married till her mid-30s. But to just enjoy where you are and to embrace, you know, that current season of life. A thousand percent. I was going to say the same, that you're living the good old days that you'll 
miss one day and so to try to enjoy it and not wish time away especially with kids I think in difficult <laughs> phases you can easily be like oh I just can't wait till they're a little older and now you look back and you're like oh but they were so sweet and so cute and mm-hmm. yeah there were hard times but you sort of forget those you know they kind of just blur and you just look back at their little chubby hands and wrists and you're like oh what I wouldn't give to go back to that mm-hmm. and also that you will you always look back at pictures of yourself and like man I looked great like no matter what you think of yourself and yeah. your old pictures you're like you'll always look back with that fondly too so just like enjoy your current status whatever it is yeah I love that what about you Jamie well I definitely love what they're saying I would I struggled so much after one breakup that I would just try to tell myself look it's gonna get better and you're still gonna get married and have kids it's okay he's not the end of the world (laughs) like you think it is but it's not oh girl I know I mean the the time that we wasted (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know um I, I totally, I feel you on that one. And then I, and then with what Mary said, you had, I mean, Mary had shared something that made me think about what Jessica said, bigger kids, bigger problems. Was I right? I think. Um, so like you said, Jessica, we, we just, oh, when they get bigger or they get older, it's gonna be easier. And it, no, it's just a different <laughs> season, a different, problem. different problem. It's just, one's not easier than the other. And so, yeah, that whole sentiment of just enjoying the moment that you're in is just, I think, perfect. And I wish we could go back and tell ourselves those things. Completely agree. Ladies. Thank you. Cannot thank you enough. Yeah. (laughs) From the bottom of our hearts, really. I know that this this is a deeply personal thing. And I think it's, it's amazing that you guys were so willing to open and up your hearts and share with people. And I think it, it really will benefit someone to hear it. Agree. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm sorry we ran over, but thank you. We could have continued to talk about this for more, many, many more hours and did not want to stop this conversation, but no, we need to. So <laughs> thank you guys so much. It's so lovely seeing your faces yeah. and speaking with you and cannot wait to see you all again soon. Have a good one, ladies. Thanks, y'all. Thank you all for joining us in today's episode. The information provided in today's episode is for informational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. We advise our audience to consult a medical professional or healthcare provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and treatment. Thank you all again for joining us on another episode of Talk 40 to Me, and we look forward to next week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening in. And as a member of our community, we want to hear from you. Follow us on social at Talk 40 to Me podcast and share your feedback on today's topic. How is the conversation relevant in your life? And is there a topic you'd love to hear us discuss? On that note, cheers to aging gracefully, living life to the fullest, and enjoying another day with your besties in life.